Bobcat. Nick Hales is a rescue partner, and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. essentially so much the actual 40 time as it is the 10-yard split. And part of it is, is, look, we're in an era with some ridiculously talented defensive players. Guys like J.J. Watt with the amazing size, athletic ability, and quickness that they have. These guys are going to blow up a running play in three-quarters of a second. Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Wagner. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I was just looking forward to breaking down the NFC West today with you yesterday. How are you doing today? Doing good. Sorry I was a little late to the party. Um, computers, some stuff, but we're not going to talk about that anymore. Yes, breaking down the NFC West today. Super excited about that. Bill Latin's going to be joining us here very shortly. I'll do a little plant your flag or wash your hands. We also have some Dynasty trade analysis, a couple Dynasty dilemmas, and a little mock draft update, possibly. See where we're at there, and some prospect profiles, as always. So very, very fortunate to be with you guys today, giving giving me some information. But I want to say something right away before we get started. Now, depending on where you look, and I, as a huge reader, avid reader of mock drafts, Jalen Smith seems to be going all over the place. Obviously, he's a first-round talent. The knee injury is, is a huge concern. But why on earth would a team in the top ten not take this guy? You're obvious, If you're in the top ten right now this year, maybe I want to say at least eight of those teams are not going to make the playoffs this year. So why would you not? Even if this guy sits out one entire year, why would you not take this guy and know that two, three years down the road when you're ready to get into the playoffs, that he is going to be one of the pieces in your defense just cooking? I mean, last summer he was the top prospect above everybody else. Nothing has changed that. Obviously we don't know how he's going to bounce back from the injury, but I, don't, I still think he is a t- one of the top five players in this draft. If you're gonna, you know, I still think I still he plays still take place sometime in the middle of the season next year. But some some people think it's just it's it's not going to happen. But you're seriously going to pass on him and let a team like Seattle or Green Bay or Kansas City take him much later and just get back into the playoffs for five straight more years? I mean, come on, why why would you do that? Anyway, I just had to get that off my chest. Any thoughts there, Jalen Smith? Uh, I agree with you. And, you know, we had a kind of a similar situation last year with Todd Gurley coming off the injury, and we all saw how well he performed once he got on the field. So definitely have to agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And it's obviously, you know, that's different people are going to react differently to that type of thing. But, yeah. So very strong NFC West edition here of the uh, 
plant your flag or wash your hands. It's fun to do this earlier, but what do we think about Kenny Britt, Nick? Guy seems to have a lot of talent, got the speed, got the size to be one of those bigger outside receivers here in the NFL, but just can't seem to put it together. Should we hold that against him that he's a Ram, or what do you think? Yeah, when I look at Kenny Britt, I see a wide receiver five or six, maybe. Uh, nothing more, really. I mean, I have him in DFW 16 at the best ball league, so I think he'll probably contribute like four or five weeks, maybe. You know, I'm, He's a guy that I'm not cutting in leagues that I have him, but I'm definitely not running out and trying to acquire him. Uh, if he were to get a really talented quarterback, that might change things, but as of right now, he's not really a guy that I'm super high on. Yeah, I mean, obviously the quarterback is going to be a factor there because he is not, you know, one of those DeAndre Hopkins type of players that just makes his quarterback better. Um, Tony Brown, I think, is another one of those guys. I don't think it matters who their quarterbacks are. They're just ultra-talented individuals. Um, I I, I think I would feel okay cutting Britt just because, you know, I think, this team really wants to get younger and especially if the Rams cut him, I don't think he's going to find much of much of a home anywhere else. And I know they don't have any receivers on hand, but one thing that I think made him attractive was the fact that he was a bit, the only, you know, plus six foot receiver on this team. Really Brian quick could never seem to stay healthy. He's a free agent. Chris Gibbons is now gone. So, you know, basically it's him, it's, it's him and Tavon. So, you know, if the quarterback situation is something that you like there and Britt's, Britt remains there, I think he did sign a two- or three-year deal, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised to see him get cut. So I, I think I would be okay if he did cut him. But I just, yeah, not not overly thrilled. I, I expected a little bit more, but, again, you know, that quarterback situation there in San Luis is not so so grand either. So what do you think about Antoine Bethea, strong safety, San Francisco 49ers, Nick? Well, he's 32 years old. He only played in seven games last year, but did play in all 16 games every year from 2008 through 2014. Uh, I think he's got at least two solid years left. You know, we see safeties be productive late in their careers. Uh, you look no farther than just across the bay at the season Charles Woodson had in 2015. So I think I'd definitely plant my flag with, with him, say, at least for the next couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And he is certainly a guy that, you know, is going to get 70 to 80 tackles a year, fully healthy, possibly more. And he's a guy in IDP startups that you could probably get, you know, in the last five rounds. Easy just because people don't like that age and dynasty right away. So I, I, I really like really like him and what I, what I, what he's going to uh, bring to the table. And they do have, you know, other safeties on this roster with Jakorski Tart, Eric Reed still there. Jimmy Ward is still there, so that does open up the window if that new regime wants to uh, maybe shred a little, a little cap space, maybe make some cap space. So, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to predict that these guys are going to get cut, but I, I, I feel like he's certainly somebody worthy of that. And we're going to talk about another guy who was cut last week a little bit later here. But uh, what do you think about Bruce Irvin, the overrated outside linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks? Sorry, my own opinion there. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, from an IDP uh, standpoint, I don't really think he's a he's guy you'd be interested in. He's never had seven sacks in a season. He had under 40 tackles last year. You know, I mean, the only way I would be interested in Bruce Irvin is if, if he were to sign up a team that moved him to defensive end and already had a lot of quality pass rushers on the team, like, say, the Rams, then I would buy him. But otherwise, I'm washing my hands. Um, Oakland. 
has been linked to him. I think I heard Mike uh, Mike Florio say that. Obviously, with the Ken Norton Jr. thing being there, I mean, and I I don't want him. Obviously, I don't want him. But uh, is it is it a fair point as somebody who doesn't like Bruce Irvin to think that maybe Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright were just too good at their linebacker position for this guy to accumulate tackles? Nick, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we've seen that with a lot of players in the Seattle defense. The the, uh, the unit as a whole is so good that its individual pieces don't tend to put up as big numbers uh, stat-wise as some other IDP stuns across the league. Yeah, and I and I also wonder, you know, if Oakland was to go after him. Obviously, Ken Norton is a guy that knows this guy and knows what his strengths are. So, I mean, would, would he be a little more attractive to you maybe if he was potentially feeling – a bigger role than he was in Seattle if he was to go to Oakland. I don't want to predict that, but maybe maybe I'm just talking about it so it doesn't happen. But, I mean, we all saw the resurgence Malcolm Smith had there last year, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think his value would be increased. But still, you know, if I'm rostering a pass-rushing linebacker, I would need a guy that's got more than seven sacks in a season. I just, uh, it's, I, I just can't bring myself to get super high on him, even in that situation. Um. This guy might seem like a weird person to talk about, and I'm sorry we talked about Bruce Irvin so much. Tony Jefferson, Arizona Cardinals, Nick. What what do you, what do you think about him? Obviously, he's had his moments. I think he maybe lacks a little bit consistency, and you know, there's a whole lot of defensive backs in the Cardinal team. Yeah, and you're looking at me, the restricted free agent, so he's likely staying, especially if uh, the unrestricted free agent safety, Rashad Johnson, leaves. Uh, he had good tackle numbers in 20, uh, 2014, his second year, 72 solo tackles, and then he became a little bit more of a playmaker in 2015. He had his first two career interceptions plus three forced fumbles. He's only going to be 24 years old this year. Uh, he's not doesn't have great measurables, but he's a better football player than his workouts would indicate. Uh, he's a guy I think I'd plant my flag in. Mm-hmm. Well, and hopefully you don't have to make that decision now, but we'll know if Johnson is brought back or they bring another safety via free agency or they draft the safety, I think, early, how they really feel about Jefferson. I think this team also needs a corner in the draft. Um, we'll get to that more of that with that bill here in just five minutes. But I think, you know, Honey Badger and obviously Dayon are locked in. Patrick Peterson, and we'll see, you know, how they fill out the rest of that defensive backfield. But I, I think if they let Johnson walk and they don't, they don't grab another, another DB, regardless of position early, I think Jefferson's safe because I think he can even play that nickel spot too. So, uh, James Laronitis cut this week, Nick. What do we think? I mean, obviously, I he's not going to go to a non-contender, I think, at this point in his career. But if he goes somewhere that needs him, he seems maybe a little attractive. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's got over 100 tackles every year in his seven-year career. He's never missed a game. He's only going to be 30 years old in December. So, yeah, I think there's going to be some team out there that gets a really good football player for the next couple seasons. Uh, in dynasty leagues, you know, owners tend to panic once their good players reach that 30-year years, uh, thirty year mark. So, you know, you could probably get him pretty cheap. I would plant my flag unless I'm completely in rebuilding mode. Yeah, he's certainly not somebody that gets you, gets you excited. But you, if you too think you are on on the cusp and somebody's down on him, I, I don't think he's a bad player to take advantage of. And obviously, landing spots can be huge there. 
Uh, well, we're still waiting on Torrey Smith to be that dominant wide receiver one. Anquan Bolden's essentially out the door there in San Francisco. Nick, what do we think about Mr. Torrey Smith? Well, the 49ers gave him big money last offseason to be a big play guy for him, and he did lead the NFL in yards per catch with 20, uh, 20.1 yards per catch, but he only had 33 receptions. Uh, you look back at 2013, he had 1,100 yards. In 2014, he had 11 touchdowns. Last year was by far the worst year of his career. I think he should bounce back. I think he's a good buy-low candidate right now. I'd play my flag. Even in that Chip Kelly offense? Yeah, I'm... I mean, I think he's more talented than, uh, say, a Jordan Matthews, or at least more polished, more well-rounded receiver right now than uh, than Jordan mm-hmm. Matthews was as a rookie. So I think, yeah, we could see some decent numbers from him, depending mm-hmm. on quarterback play, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's somebody, if he has a couple of good games early in 2016 on him, I would certainly try to sell high because I just don't – I haven't seen that consistency throughout his career with him. So uh, with Jeremy Blaine cornerback, uh, Seattle Seahawks. I think believe he is an unrestricted free agent, too, if I'm not mistaken. But they need another corner since, you know, Kerry Williams was cut. Loose. What do you think? Well, in four years, Jeremy Lane has six starts, two interceptions, never had 30 tackles in a season, and now he's likely going to get overpaid due to playing with a great unit there in Seattle. Uh, he's a guy I've, I've washed my hands on. I just don't really see it from him. Uh, obviously, that cornerback thing is tricky week to week, IDP wise. For those those of you guys in full IDP leagues, in terms of you know, it's it's fun to even just grab a different cornerback every week and see what see what happens. But you know, Lane is a guy that certainly has polished some shoulders or polished himself, rubbed shoulders with some very good defenders uh, at the back end there in Seattle. So I, I think he's a little bit of a, an intriguing player to me. But yeah, it, he's not. A, a cornerback that you're going to want to, I think, carry over into the next year. So he's probably a safe cut. Um, J.J. Nelson, excuse me, wide receiver slash kick returner for the Arizona Cardinals. Now, I know he's not the next Travis Benjamin, Nick, because there's three, obviously, stud receivers on this Cardinals team. But he's still he's still a guy that, you know, I think you could maybe consider if you have the roster space. You know, maybe after Larry leaves, they, they, they re-up him because he's got a – whole lot of speed. I think he was the fastest guy at the combine last year. Yeah, he might have been. I mean, he's never going to be a wide receiver one. He's only five foot ten, 156 pounds, but the dude can fly, like you said. Uh, averaged 27 yards per reception last year on 11 catches. Uh, don't overpay for him. He's not even like a weekly flex type of player, but as an occasional bi-week replacement, I think he's an alright boomer bust type option. So yeah, like you said, towards the back end of your roster, I would go ahead and plant five. Yeah, again, if you have room there with Mr. Mr. Nelson, uh, you say 156 pounds. That's got that's got to be the lightest player in the NFL. Maybe maybe lightest non kicker. We should say. I don't know what some of those kickers weigh in at. Nobody's too concerned about that unless you're, of course, Seabass out there in Oakland. But that's insanity. I think Sproles has got to be 170, right? I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, but anyway, we have waiting on the phone here, so let's patch it through. Phil, are you there? Hey, guys, how you doing? Good, good. Welcome back to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Of course, it's Bill Latin, uh, IDP contributor and uh, ranker. You heard him on the Super Bowl Roundtable podcast, and you also heard him during the season this year as well. How's it going today, Bill? 
it's going great. Glad, glad to be here. Good. Well, were you okay with us talking about some of those Arizona Cardinals while you're sitting there waiting? Absolutely. I had a I had a chuckle a little bit because I don't care who you are. 156 pounds isn't going to get it done in the NFL. But <laughs> but I, I I digress on that on that pick. Well, he's got two years to add maybe 20 pounds of bulk right there while while Larry while Larry still does his thing. Uh, great kick return though. I don't know if he's oh, yeah. he's going to reach the historical aspect of a Vaisakahama, but he's certainly a great 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 kick returner. Uh, Let's talk about your Arizona Cardinals. What do you think about uh, uh, Mr. Dayon DeCanyon seemingly uh, entrenched at linebacker? Will, will Zona draft a safety if to replace Rashad Johnson? If that is indeed the case with him going elsewhere. Well, it's it's really interesting, you know, when you start to speculate free agents and you look at, you know, restricted free agents versus, you know, unrestricted free agents. Um, you know, potentially they could lose Rashad Johnson as well. Uh, depending on, you know, if, if uh, there are any other teams out there that, that want to pony up for him. Um, I honestly am on the fence whether or not uh, they're going to be able to pay uh, Tony Jefferson. In this league, it's a passing league, and Tony Jefferson graded out above average, and he, he actually had a pretty good season uh, on a per-snap basis. He was the fourth-best IDP guy on the defensive side of the ball for the season, and that's not too shabby. Um, so... I would like to see them keep uh, Jefferson. Even if they uh, do keep him, I still think that the Cardinals um, are going to go DB uh, in the draft for sure. Um, in fact, Arians was quoted as saying that they need another corner and safety with length. So, um, you know, he, he's he's on record as saying, yeah, they, they need some depth. Um, you know, Bethel was exposed a little bit. Again, great special teams guy, but not quite coming into his own yet as far as a cornerback. So they definitely need some help in the secondary. Um, and Powers is a free agent too, right? Yes, uh, correct. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. They so would you maybe think maybe they look cornered before essential safety? You know, I, I uh, I'm a big fan of Kime. I think that if I were to blend his his drafts together, I'd give him a solid B, which in today's NFL I think is is well above average as far as as a drafting. Uh, entity. Um, so I, I really think they're going to take what the draft gives them, and I, and I trust their judgment in terms of who they have high on their board. Um, you know, it's one of those things where if somebody slips or there's an opportunity where they see a guy they like and maybe they have to trade up one or two spots, I mean, I'm just, I just think that they're willing to do uh, what's on their board. So there's some guys that I like, of course. You know, I like uh, – some particular guys that I would like to see them go after, but depending on how the draft flows, um, you know, you kind of sometimes have to take what, what they can give you. And as an example, we obviously don't have a franchise quarterback waiting in the wings. Um, they're for sure not going to take a first-round quarterback, but if there's a guy that they love in the second round that slipped, um, I can see them taking, you know, a quarterback in the second round, which in that case is going to change the, the direction of the rest of the draft. So, it's going to be kind of an ebb and flow, living, breathing, organic kind of uh, experience for me to watch and see what they do because I know they're going to come away with uh, linebacker help. I know they're going to come away with edge rush help. I know they're going to come away with some secondary help. I think they're going to come away with a quarterback at some point. It's just a matter of what rounds and where and who. Okay. Well, just in case you're wondering about Bill's 
Cardinals credentials. He, he he's not only a fan, but he had dinner with their quarterback coach Freddie Freddie Kitchens the other night. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I, I was sitting down at uh, Benny Hanna's, and uh, we were having a nice chat, you know, family chat. And uh, asked they were asking what we did for a living. Told him I work at Bash, as he said he knows my my uh, buddy down there. And I said, Oh, what do you do? He says, Oh, I'm a quarterbacks coach. And my wife said, Oh no, that's that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> So, yeah, it, it pretty much football dominated the conversation for the next 30, 40 minutes. But it was a great time, really super nice guy, um, beautiful family, um, had a really, really uh, great dinner there. And, and uh, interestingly enough, he sidestepped a lot of my direct questions, but he did talk a lot about broad-based subject like like the line play, um, you know, and, and things of that nature. So he, I kind of tried to pry a little bit and asked kind of what direction they were going with quarterback, but he was pretty much um, biting on his tongue. Yeah, no no name dropping for you, Bill. Sorry. Nope. <laughs> uh, Nick, do you have any questions there for Bill? Uh, yeah, so I read recently that Chris Johnson's interested in a return. Do you know how much uh, interest there is from the team in re-signing Chris Johnson? It's a little vague. Um, you know, Arians is a player's coach, and so he's a guy that makes positive comments about veterans, period. He, he always wants to come across as pro player. Um, some of the things that I've read and seen have been – um, fairly, I would say, leaning on the positive side. But the bottom line is the amount of money that, that I think that they could save by getting rid of him. Um, if you look how he graded out, he was really not very good last year. Um, you know, his, his yards per carry, uh, he had a few big, big plays here and there, but he's just certainly not, uh, in my opinion, he's not even really a viable RB2 at this point. So in my opinion, I think that, they, that they're probably going to end up letting him go unless it's just, you know, the veteran minimum. Um, And I don't see any other team out there paying him more, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic. It depends on, to me, also what they think of uh, Andre Ellington because Ellington is is an interesting character because, you know, Arians loves Andre Ellington. And um, so if he feels that that Ellington's healthy and can contribute, I mean, basically Ellington is a younger Chris Johnson. I mean, not not as fast, but – he does kind of the same type of thing, and I just don't see them keeping them both, to be honest. Yeah, um, that does make sense. You know, Johnson uh, certainly had his day in the sun, but you, you're totally right. You know, and maybe maybe once we get to, like, week four or five of the season and injuries start creeping for some teams, maybe he's a little bit more attractive to somebody. But, uh, yeah. You know what? One, in, one interesting little piece of information about Chris Johnson, a lot of people are talking about Marshawn Lynch and where's his place, you know, in history, and is he a Hall of Famer? Chris Johnson's stats are better than uh, Marshawn Lynch, which a, a lot of people don't recognize. I think it's funny when people talk about Marshawn Lynch as far as a Hall of Famer. I think it's almost laughable. Yes, he had some uh, powerful prowess and some good contact uh, highlights, but when you look at his body of work, He's he's fairly average running back in my opinion, but that's a whole other subject. Yeah, yeah, good point there. Um, so every, last off season, I tend to fall in love with some obscure players sometimes. But last off season, I fell in love with Alex Okafor. You guys is outside linebacker there, Bill, and I think he actually led the team quietly led the team in sacks in 2000. You know, it was like eight, he had out, you know. Probably Campbell, who had seven and a half, but fell in love with him. Uh, and obviously, you know, the season didn't go how how we planned there for Okafor. He wasn't the the double digit set guy that I, w- I was hoping for, IDP wise. But 
I'm already smitten with Marcus Golden. Like, I've been smitten with him since last August anyway. You know, can you talk me down on him? Are you excited about him? Well, I'll tell you, I'm actually more excited about the potential of Okafor kind of having a, a, a revitalization, if you will. He did regress quite a bit from 2014. Um, there was a lot of impressive things about him watching him in 2014. Okafor, um, he had a good first step. He looked explosive. Um, you know, he only played about 62% of the snaps for that season. So, you know, there were big expectations for him heading into this year. Uh, Marcus Golden, you know, I'll tell you, I like his attitude. I like um, his his uh, demeanor and how he carries about himself. But in terms of athleticism, to me, he looks a little tight. He looks a little um, immobile sometimes from sideline to sideline. And, and I'm just not sure, you know, with his size and what uh, the Cardinals are trying to do in terms of get faster and, and create a pass rush. I don't know where he fits in. I mean, when you're taking 58th overall, the expectation is, you know, to produce. I think he basically met expectations last year. Um, I think that, uh, you know, he played about half the snaps, 21 tackles, 10 assists, four sacks. But um, two, four of those sacks were half sacks. So, you know, if you were to look at film and, and go back and rewind, how many of those sacks were, you know, sacks that he was creating on his own? I just I think he's a great complimentary player, but from an IDP standpoint, I'm not sure that he's ever going to be more than an LB4 um, type of guy. To be honest, I just don't see the ceiling. To be honest. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and I, you know I think mainly my love initially started for him because I just thought he was going to be a way better player than Shane Ray and his his teammate Shane Ray, and I. Uh, I just didn't – Ray was getting all the press, and he wasn't. So that, maybe that was my, my initial thoughts there. But certainly well, and I'm with there. you in that camp. I'm not a Shane Ray fan, and obviously he was dinged up, but Marcus Golden outperformed Shane Ray last year. And I do think Marcus Golden, you know, he's got a, he's got a place in the NFL, and I think he'll be, you know, one of those guys that's a better NFL guy than a better fantasy guy. Um, you know, he's a great locker room guy from all the things that I've done as far as research. Uh, and uh, and i I got to give the Cardinals props because – you know, the Cardinals passed on Randy Gregory, who by most would say is, is a better raw prospect. I just love the fact that the Cardinals, you know, most of the time, try to stay above board with character guys. And, and uh, you know, so kudos to the Cardinals for passing on, you know, maybe a higher upside uh, physical guy to go for a, a better character guy that's a better locker room guy. Yeah, and that, that defense, I think in the past it's, it's certainly proven that too. That it is a, that is a team that plays as a unit. There's not a, you know, there's not one guy there that they they all lean on. They just they just kind of, you know, go with it and just whoever makes the play, everybody else seems to be happy for him. So. Um, now I thought about this a little here too uh, when you were talking about Chris Johnson, and you know I think what probably hurt Chris Johnson's overall numbers or his averages last year is the fact that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like every time I look at a Cardinals box score under the Arians' reign there, Bill, they're, the running back gets the ball 20 times. That's just, just what they do. No matter what, no matter what the game flow is, running back gets the ball 20 times. Um, so that means, I mean, that should obviously get people very excited about David Johnson if you're not excited about him already. But I think David Johnson is obviously going to be a very good player in this offense moving forward. 
is that going to affect the or, or hurt or help the wide receiver value on this team? You know, it's an, it, when I when I thought about that question, I think that it's important to look at Arians' history um, and other teams as well. Um, most of the time, Arians has a, a pretty good track record of having good productive running backs along with his aerial attack. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, if you have to worry about, uh, you know, all of these other weapons and options, it opens up a lot of things in the run game. It opens up, uh, it opens up the running lanes quite a bit. So if you mix in the, the run effectively with the pass, then all of a sudden your play action is, is alive and you're just kind of clicking on all cylinders. So, I really think, if anything, I think it helps. Uh, the emergence of David Johnson, I think, helps with the receivers. Um, I think that the defense can at times be on their heels when trying to game plan and strategize and scheme for the Cardinals because you don't know what Arians is going to throw at you. Um, so I, I honestly, um, if anything, I think it may help to have a, a solidified running game where y- you know what you can count on, if that makes mm. sense. No, that that does make perfect sense. And, you know, and it's not like teams are going to put eight guys in the box and we'll say, oh, yeah, we'll let uh, Larry Fitzgerald get covered by this rookie cornerback. I know that's not going to happen. But uh, it just, it's certainly a good question and, and, a, and a great answer there. Um, uh, Nick, you got any more for Bill? Uh, yeah, looking at the offensive line, it looks like uh, Bobby Massey, Ted Larson, and Lyle Sendling are all uh, free agents. Do you expect them to go after offensive linemen in either free agency or the draft, or do you think they're going to count on former first-round picks DJ Humphreys and Jonathan Cooper to maybe slide into starting roles now? Well, it's funny uh, because uh, when I had dinner with, with Coach, uh, he, he had mentioned, yeah, we need to get that rookie lineman in, the, in there. And, uh, you know, we know who he was referring to. Um, I, I think they're probably going to end up re-signing um, two, if not all three of these guys, depending on what they what they uh, require contract-wise. Send line, center, the center position is one thing that, that intrigues me a little bit because Lyle Sendline's a pro's pro. He's a great guy, uh, great locker room leader. But he has moments where um, – you know he's showing his age, and he's showing that that uh, he's not quite as as uh, adept as he once was. So there are a few good centers in this draft, depending on where you're picking and you know what their priorities are and how how they look at the priority of center. Where um, you know it's again it's back to that quagmire of of who's available when you're picking, and how do you have guys graded out? Um, you know, offensive line is something that you can never have too much depth at. So I mean. I, I personally feel like all three of those guys are worthy, depending on the contract uh, that, that they'll require. I think they're worthy of keeping on the team, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I hear what you mean. I I think the top two guys are probably uh, Ryan Kelly out of Bama and uh, is it the the other Martin. Is it Nick Martin <laughs> out of out of Notre Dame? <laughs> and I unfortunately, I think if you guys were going to go after a guy like that, he's. I think both of those guys are, are second early third round picks just because those, I mean, I like a lot of the centers in this draft, but those two are easily the, the top twos. Yeah. Again, um, you know, when you're picking late in the second round, you know, how, how, how high are they on the Cardinals boards? You know, if, if, if they're, if they're late in the second round and there's a, you know, a franchise center that's sitting there, that's a pretty valuable piece. Um, so again, how do they value th- those positions? Um, do they think they can piecemeal it? 
you know, the free agent market, it's, it's not that deep um, on offensive line. There's not a lot of guys, you know, that you, you want to clamor out there and go sign to big contracts. So um, it's, it's a little thin out there from, a, from an offensive line standpoint. Certainly, certainly. Um, what do we think about the tight end position in this offense? Will we, will we ever see a tight end emerge? You know, I got excited for a couple of weeks about that guy whose name I couldn't pronounce last summer, and then, he, of course, he tore his ACL. Uh, but, you know, well, I'll tell you, Troy Nicholas? I mean, anybody? Yeah, Nicholas. Troy. Well, here's the thing. You know, Troy Nicholas, he's been on the team two years, basically. Um, so he's had seven catches for 72 yards, two touchdowns. Um, Darren Fells, he's a great complimentary piece. He's he's a, uh, you know, a, a – a, good roster rounder, but I don't see him as a dynamic pass-catching tight end. Um, certainly an okay red zone threat. Um, my question with this tight end situation is, honestly, parallel to that, what are they going to do at wide receiver? I mean, every, you know, look, the consensus is Arizona has great wide receiving core. However, you've got a guy in Larry Fitzgerald who's very old. I mean, and he's my favorite, one of my favorite players in the league. But the, the cliff is going to come at some point. You've got a guy in Michael Floyd who's playing in a contract year this year and is most likely going to require some pretty good money because he's a very, very above-average wide receiver. And then you've got, you know, two skinny little guys. Uh, well, Jerron Brown's not that skinny, but it, in three years, Jerron Brown has had 44 receptions. So, And then you've got, you know, 156-pound soaking wet guy. Um, so really, from on the surface, the wide receiving core looks great. But to me... When you look ahead two, three years, there's some serious question marks there. So, I don't see I don't see the Cardinals making tight end, tight end a a, uh, a priority. What I see them doing is at some point in the draft, picking a wide receiver that they feel fits in well with their system. You know, there's guys like Farrell Cooper um, that I would love to see. Um, there's lots of of uh, de- you know depth to me at the wide receiver position in this draft. So. Rather than address the tight end position, I think that uh, I'd rather see them pick a wide receiver, to be honest with you, and kind of restack the deck a little bit with uh, what Arians likes to do. But I guess just, you know, the tight end position in this offense, will we ever see anybody actually get get fantasy points out of that position? Honest, I honestly do not think so. I, I you know, I, I have been – it's you know, there's been sexy guys – uh, that have come and gone that, you know, were the next great thing in Arian's offense and, and nothing has come to fruition. We have seen zero production out of the tight end position other than an occasional red zone touchdown. And that's really the only thing that, that they've been using him for. So I think with, in particular with David Johnson and Andre Ellington being able to be very good pass catching backs, um, the depth that they currently have at wide receiver, I don't really see them working the tight end position uh, into into the mix now, you know could they could they throw a curve and uh, you know go take Hunter Henry in the first round, who I think is going to be a very good tight end in this league. They could, you know, but they'd have to take him late in the first round. I mean he's he's you know going to be a late first early second round type of guy. Um, I don't see them making that a priority in their offense. If they did, they certainly would have a weapon and they certainly could incorporate that. But it just doesn't seem to be um, in Arian's. Uh, uh, plans, at least in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're blockers. They usually start with the, the that two tight end sentence, 
two tight end set, excuse me, and they're de- definitely uh, definitely blockers in this scheme. Um, Nick, you got anything else there? Um, have you heard if they're planning on re-signing Drew Stanton or if they're going to upgrade at the backup quarterback position? There has been zero, and, and actually that's one of the things I've looked into the most uh, in researching the draft for the Cardinals. There is zero whispers or rumors uh, out uh, in the in the uh, Twitter verse or or anywhere on the on the web. Basically, my, my gut feeling is that uh, Stanton's going to test the market. Um, I, I actually was a huge Drew Stanton fan. Um, I think he you know could be a low end. Uh, I don't think there's 32 better quarterbacks in the league right now than him. Personally, that's my opinion. But, um, you know, the question is that with his age and where he's at in his career, could he start somewhere? Probably not. So I don't, it depends on how much money he's going to command. Um, you know, and it also depends on what they do in this draft. You know, if they, if they pull the trigger on a second round quarterback and they feel confident that he can be a good backup, then I see them letting Stanton go, um, to be honest with you. Okay, what do we think about um, this team? Just, to, I mean, we've obviously been been there back and forth here, but as far as just like biggest draft need, what do you think is the biggest draft need on this team? Um, it's it's kind of a two two way tie between edge rusher and outside linebacker, and you know in today's NFL you, you kind of blur those lines anyways. Um, you know, it all depends on uh, what players are available and what the Cardinals want to do. There's there's some guys that I really really like. Um, as you know, uh, Josh, my number one uh, linebacker on the board is Jalen Smith, um, and I have to, you know, make a point of saying that I, I was—he was number one on my board before Mike Mayock said it, he was his number one linebacker. So um, I just think he fits the Cardinal scheme well. Six-three, uh, two twenty-nine. He's long. He's rangy. I think he's going to smoke people at the combine. I think he's going to absolutely blow up the combine. He's just a very, very athletic uh, type guy. Um, I know there's a lot of hype about Miles Jack, and I think Miles Jack's going to be a very good linebacker. But Jalen Smith, to me, uh, has that speed, uh, size, length combination. Now, on the edge, you know, looking ahead of us, there's going to be a lot of edge rushers taken. So I don't. What I really don't want to see is I don't want to see the Cardinals reach on the the fourth or fifth best edge rusher when you know the first or second best linebacker on their board is there. Um, I don't think we're going to have a chance uh, at, um, you know, Noah Spence and some of these other guys. Uh, there's a lot of speculation. Kevin Dodd falls to us, and they, they may they may take Kevin Dodd. Um, I like him. I like his versatility. Six five two seventy five. He can rush on the edge or play five technique in a three four. So I, I wouldn't mind that pick. It certainly wouldn't be sexy. It wouldn't be super exciting. But um, I, I definitely think. Um, outside linebacker and edge is, is the number one need. And then, as we discussed, safety and corner, um, at some point they're going to address that. Um, and, and and least important um, from a draft standpoint is probably quarterback, depending on what they think um, and what they see out there. Um, and that's, you know, everybody's looking for the next Tom Brady, you know, draft him in, in, in a late round. Or, um, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. There's some guys I like. I like Paxton a lot. Um, I'm kind of in the minority there, and a lot of people aren't uh, big on him. But he has been getting a lot of buzz as potentially a late first-round pick. So there's no way we're going to take a quarterback in the first round. I, I just don't see it happening. So, But I, I'd be happy to come away with a stud linebacker or a stud edge rusher in the first round. Driscoll. Driscoll is the guy built for 
built for your guys' offense, I think he would be a phenomenal pick in the fifth round. Jeff Driscoll there out of, out of La Tech, I think, I think he would be an exciting player to watch in that offense anyway. There's a couple of safeties I really like, too. I, I love DeAndre Houston Car- uh, Carson. Um, I, I, lo- I really, really love Miles Killebrew. I think Miles Killebrew fits that uh, big, bruising Dion De- Buchanan type of a build. You know, 6'1", 219 out of Southern Utah. Um, watch some film uh, of his, and uh, the guy's a, a baller. Um, very, very good. Um, so there, there's this is a pretty good draft class, I think, for safeties. I think there's some depth there. Mm-hmm. I heard uh, Daniel Jeremiah say on Monday that somebody in the pre preseason and a uh, college football clocked Killebrew at like a four four forty, and he was fifteen more pounds than he is right now. Yeah, that that is, it, that is strong safety in the NFL. It's just wow. He's a, uh, he's a freak. He's he's my favorite. He's one of my favorite players. You know, coming out this year, I'd, I'd love to see him in a in the Cardinals jersey. Yeah, most definitely. Um, okay, the fun question. We haven't asked this one for a while, but among the teams in this division, who has the worst or most annoying fans? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, and this this may be just a personal preference thing because I've been to many, many, many uh, Arizona Cardinals games, and to me, the most annoying fans are the Seattle fans uh, for various reasons, but primarily there seems to be this sense of, of uh, entitlement and an air of superiority. And although, you know, winning a Super Bowl does tend to, you know, bloat your chest out a little bit, um, it, it just gets to the point of ridiculous. I I, I get uh, tired of hearing apologists for, uh, you know, for their, you know, situations that come up. And, and, and it's just one of those things where when you go to those home games, they're just kind of rude and kind of arrogant. Uh, I'd rather have the, the uh, rough around the edges uh, you know, Niners fans that you know they'll rib you a little bit, but and but you know drink a little more beer than the Seattle fans. But they're just more personable. The Seattle fans are just self righteous, and they just annoy the crap out of them. <laughs> oh wow, we really drugged that out of you there, Bill. I like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I told you this, Bill, when I sent you this question. But we asked uh, um, a, a Seattle radio guy that question. Me and Nick did a couple years ago on a podcast, and he said the Seattle fans too. <laughs> he said really? they just drink they just drink too much and they're just uneducated. I mean, so it was funny. something to that aspect. And I wasn't I wasn't exactly sure what he said, so I won't I won't say who the person was, but it, it was that was the first time I'd ever asked that question to anybody and that just took me took me back. I was just like, where did that answer come from? I did not expect that at all. Uh Bill, obviously a huge pleasure that you could join us today once again and um uh, you know you're coming back, so We'll, we'll I got. A, I know you're a, you're a, you're a trivia guy, Josh. So I got I got one little piece of trivia for you. 1944 I Cardinals. For to turn this around. Sorry, go ahead. 19, 1944 Cardinals combined with Pittsburgh due to the war. What was the name of that team during that war trodden year? Oh, jeez. You know, it's, we, it's, we, it's Card Pit. The name of the team was Card Pit. Card Dash Pit. <laughs> Yeah, for one wow. year that was the name that was the name of the team, you know, dur- during the war. Um, so I thought that was an interesting little bit of trivia for you. Wow. Yeah, we, you know, we we named some of those older teams when we t- when we do the number thing on this podcast, and I don't think I've come across that one yet. So. 
And, and I'll flip the switch on both of you guys. If 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 uh, you're on the clock with the Cardinals' first round pick, um, given the nature of kind of how the draft flow has gone and who's going to probably be available there, who do you pick with the first pick? Um, well, I guess obviously it depends on how things uh, shake out with um, free agency, but I, I I do agree with you where I think Tony Jefferson is brought back. And I think he has played corner before, so they could do that. And I think this draft is deep corner-wise. So I think I really like the safety out of um, uh, Boise State, Darian Thompson. I think he's he's a fringe first-round pick at this point. But I think to have a guy like that on this team would be very beneficial. As much as I love Kilbrew, I think he is kind of another Dayon Buchanan-type play. Excuse me. So I would go Darian How about you, Nick? Nick? Um, I agree with you. Probably pass rusher is the most likely option, uh, although offensive line could also be uh, somewhere they look, especially if they don't bring back any of those three uh, key free agents. I mean, we saw what happened when Carson Palmer got hurt a couple of years ago, pretty much ruined the season. So keeping him healthy has to be the, the top priority. Good point. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, thank you Bill, as always, and uh, have a great debate. Good day, bud. Yeah, thank- thanks for having me. All right, again, that is uh, Bill Latin, IDP contributor and ranker here at uh, DFW. Always always a pleasure to bring Bill on. So, um, Nick, what do we think? Oh, it's time for Nick Rants. Each and every week I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him, something that's on, on his mind. Sometimes I call it shots fired. Uh, sometimes I like to call it often controversial. Nick? What do you got for us on Nick Rants this week? Now, if you're like me, you have at least one sports app that sends your phone notifications whenever there's news whenever there's news involving teams or leagues of your choice. And it amazes me what non-stories qualify as notification-worthy. Like twice recently when my phone decided I needed to know right away that a couple draft prospects won't be running the 40 at the Combine. Sure, it's maybe worth a small article on the website, but as long as they're not injured and they're going to run at their pro days, then it's not news. And really for the everyday fan and even every even most fantasy players, the combine is just stupid. I watched it the first year just to see, but, you know, unless you're a scout or a writer, why would you sit and watch these guys do drills and shorts for hours? Go for a hike. Take your wife out to dinner. Have a board game day with the family, <laughs> especially if you don't see them much from September through early February. Seriously, though, I, I get that you want to see the numbers from the drills, but you don't need to rush. You're not doing your rookie draft anytime soon, so instead of wasting your time watching the combine, relax, get away from the game for a minute, and just wait for DFW's 2016 draft guide. I should admit, I haven't gotten word that there's going to be one this year, but the 2015 edition was so great. I'm going to be real disappointed if there isn't one this year. And, you know, if you are a 100% football junkie or live somewhere that the air hurts your face when you go outside, then go to a site like draftbreakdown.com and watch these prospects actually play football. You know, the things you see on film just might translate a little better than seeing them run around in shorts without any fear of getting hit. What do you think, Josh? Oh, I like to combine, but yeah, it's more important, I think, to look at the results. Well, actually watch the thing. Um, I guess, you know, if if it was if Laquan Treadwell wasn't the number one wide receiver on a lot of people's boards, they, that probably wouldn't be a notification. But I think maybe that is newsworthy. I was news newsworthy. I guess I got that. I got that. I got that notification too. It's like, oh, I wonder what happened. I wonder if he got hurt. But uh, uh, I I thought that was pretty. I don't know. It was it, it was a good rant, but I and I have 
certainly watched a lot more of the combine than any person not who is not a executive or a scout needs to watch. Uh, but NFL Network is so great. They crunch, they crunch, you know, they have five hours of footage, but then they crunch down like three best hours to where you can DVR it and fast forward through it. Uh, I don't mind, you know, DVR and the whole thing and fast forward it too, because I cer- certainly like to watch some players. I love the wide receiver gauntlet, I think they call it, when they, they run across the middle of the field and they're supposed to catch like five or six balls. And I don't know. I do like, I do like watching it, but maybe that's just because I always wanted it. I was wanted to be a scout, and I'm not one right now. So, um, moving forward, dynasty trade analysis, Nick. What do we think about Devonte Parker for pick 1.02 and pick 2.01? Oh, I love picking up the draft picks. I mean, that last uh, last rookie draft, Devonte Parker could. You know, he did not go that high. He did not go the second overall pick. So you got a guy who barely played last year, and, you know, he showed some flashes, yes. But, you know, to be able to get the second overall pick and the, the first pick in the second round for him, I think that's a steal. Um, I just took Parker in a writer's mock, which we'll talk about a little bit later, with pick 2.11. So if you're wondering where he's, his value is at right now, and that was pretty typical to where some people were going on the board. I took him above Jarvis Landry. I think people are a little maybe overexcited about him, but I, I still think I would take Parker in this instance. Um, assuming uh, Ezekiel Elliott goes number one, I think I would take Parker in this instance. And I uh, I just I – I just – I think it's 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 – I'm not one of those people that are overly excited about him, but I think that Adam Gaze offense is going to certainly uh, bring some good things for him. So we'll agree to disagree on that one, I guess. Uh, half point PPR, this one here, Nick. Antonio Brown for Mike Evans, Brashard Perryman, C.J. Anderson, and a late late 2016 I don't. I don't know what round that was supposed to be. Sorry, uh, a 2017 first and a and a late maybe a late. I think it was a late second of the 2016 pick. I'll double check that. What do you think? Well, it would take a lot for me to part with Antonio Brown, but I think that would be enough to make me pull the trigger. Uh, you're getting younger with two. Uh, you know, Mike Evans. We know is a stud. Brashard Perriman. We think is going to be. We didn't get to see him play last year, but you know, first round pick. So the talent's there. Uh, plus, C.J. Anderson can be a nice, you know, piece at running back, depending on the week. And then, you know, picking up an extra first round pick in 2017. I, I think that's enough to make me get rid of probably the best receiver in the dynasty right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was a late 2016 uh, second round in the first round. That does seem like a whole lot to get uh, back for. Uh, I mean, not that I don't doubt his capabilities, but he is a 28 year old wide receiver. Um, you know, somebody was offering me that same thing for Odell Beckham. I think I would actually hold on to Beckham, but it is just a half point thing, half point reception, and obviously he, Antonio, excuse me, Antonio Brown led the league or tied, think, for the league leading receptions last year. But it is just a half a point. So he's not uh, as valuable. And I am very, you know, over. maybe I'm overly excited about C.J. Anderson this year, especially if Hillman's not brought back. I think he could do some good things there. So um, I guess if, if you disagree with us, certainly let us know on Twitter. That would be that would be fun. We would love to hear your thoughts. So, again, half-point PPR, Antonio Brown for Mike Evans, Rashard Perryman, C.J. Anderson, and a late 2016 second and a 2017 first. That's that's a whole lot of 
real estate, and if you need to reload your roster and get younger, that's that's certainly a good way to do it there. So, you know, if you if you're trading Antonio Brown, I would venture to say that you probably are rebuilding. So that's yeah, not a bad move there. What do you think about these Seattle Seahawks, Nick? Um, is Thomas Raw is it Thomas Rawls or bust for this for this team at running back? Well, I think so. I mean, from the team's perspective, the Seahawks were five and one in the games that Rawls had over 15 carries, and the one loss was on the road versus the playoff team, Cincinnati. And Rawls had 169 yards with over seven yards per carry in that game. Can't blame that loss on him. Uh, fantasy owners love that in those six games, five of them he had 80 yards or more, four of them he went over 100 yards, and he had a 200-yard game. He averaged over five and a half yards per carry on the season. Uh, he proved that he has the talent. The only question is durability. Uh, week 13 was his last action. He finished the season on injured reserve. I, and I do think the team is going to upgrade at RB2 over Christine Michael and Fred Jackson. But I think if he's healthy, Rawls should see at least 60% of the work on running downs. Uh, he did only have 11 catches, though, so he's not really a PPR threat. But as far as just straight-up running ability, yeah, I think he's the man. Yeah, I agree, too. I think what they saw a lot of last year, I think he broke his ankle, I think, was the injury that happened. So, obviously, you want to see him, you know, medically cleared, and obviously that'll be the case before he steps on the field again. Uh, but I I think, given the fact that they're going to have the entire offensive, off, excuse me, off season, um and, uh, you know, Tom Cable, their offensive line coach there in Seattle, will really get inside and kind of see what, what Rawls' tendencies are and how – I mean, obviously he was successful last year for this team, but see how they can keep him successful. And uh, Seattle Seattle without a much of a running game the last part of the year blew, obviously blew things up uh, down the field passing-wise, but I think they might be going back to a little bit more conservative style if Rawls does translate into the man there. So uh, speaking of their passing game, Russell Wilson had quite the season last year, but what do you think, Nick? Can he get any better than that? Is he going to top that? Well, 2015, his fourth season, he had career highs in completions, attempts, yards, completion percentage, and passing touchdowns. He's going to be 28 this year. Yes, I think he can still get better. He took 45 sacks last season, but he also ran for over 500 yards. Sometimes those mobile quarterbacks take a few more sacks to try to make things happen. But if he can get on the same page with Jimmy Graham, yes, I think he can get better. Uh, Doug Baldwin came into his own. Tyler Lockett should only improve in his second year. You know, for me to say, no, he can't improve, I would have to believe that 4,024 yards and 34 touchdowns will be his career-high marks, and I think he's going to surpass that in 2016. Yeah, obviously he's still just so young, and he could have a, a phenomenal career ahead of him. But I, I, I think that was what they did through the air last year was maybe just a bit of an aberration. And I, I, I just don't know what was the total yards there, Nick? Four thousand. Yeah, four thousand twenty-four. So, yeah, you know he could probably surpass that, but I think to surpass that, you're maybe going to throw a few more interceptions, which maybe brings his value. You know, maybe hurts goes against his touchdowns thrown up right there a little bit there. So we'll, I guess we'll see on that one. What do we think about this defensive side of the ball? Is there, is there a Seattle defender on the rise? Well, I don't know if he's really on the rise, but K.J. Wright is definitely overlooked for sure. He led the team in solo tackles. He's going into his sixth year, but he's only going to be 27 in July. He's only missed four games in five seasons, missed no games over the last two years, 
has seven forced fumbles over the last two seasons. This guy's not going to win you a championship on his own, but he can be a very solid piece in your IDP puzzle. Good point there on on right. I I I little overly excited about this guy last year, but I I really think Canisius Marsh can step in. You didn't see a whole lot from him last year, but he's kind of a, a, a def, um, you know, the defensive and outside linebacker type of player. I think uh, with you know older guys on this team, uh, this said six four two fifty, older guys on this team, um, and obviously Bruce Irvin out the door. I think I think Marsh is going to get you know a little bit more of a shot in in this rotation. I mean, I'm not saying he's replacing Marsh or excuse me Irvin at strong side linebacker, but I. I certainly think he could come through and and be a nice a nice force for this team up front. I really really like what he brings to the table there. So uh, you know, he not necessarily a guy that you saw on the rise last year, but is he a guy that could get better and be a big contributor on this team this year? Yes, I, I think that is the case there with Marsh. Um, biggest draft beat. What do you think there, Nick? Well, if they lose Russell Okun, I would think left tackle. Also, the right guard, J.R. Sweezy, the free agent. Uh, defense, both are starting defensive tackles, Brandon Meebane and uh, Ituba Rubin. I have no idea if I butchered that first name or not, but uh, those guys are both free agents we'll as well as Bruce Irwin, like, like you mentioned. Uh, but Seattle does tend to go best player available more than some teams. So, uh, you know, nothing would really shock me as far as what they did. You know, and there's a guy, if you look at that spot with, with Irvin there being gone, that's a team that if Jalen Smith is there, why would they not take him? I mean, he's a guy that can play inside and outside. You know, he would be a perfect guy once he gets back to full strength in that in that nickel package or even the dime, the dime as a dime linebacker. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of a lot of fun there to see what they do. That's that's one of the first round picks I'm really intrigued by because obviously a team that's been to the playoffs a handful of years with roll here. There's not a lot of glaring weaknesses, but they certainly have guys that are that are that are moving on. So, like you said, they do tend to go best player available. Obviously, every team needs offensive line help, but uh, if like I said, if a guy like Smith actually lasts that late, I don't see how they cannot pull the trigger on him. Um. Dynasty dilemma time. We got a couple of them pretty good today. As we, this first one here is our offensive ones. We pick Pitt, excuse me, Doug Baldwin. Floyd. Nick had the chance to go first, so we'll let him start with Doug Baldwin in a second. This one was an easy call for me. Not only did Doug Baldwin help me win a championship, but I'm just kind of over the whole Michael Floyd thing. After 2013, when Floyd put up over 1,000 yards, people thought he was about to break out into the upper echelon of wide receivers. Well, two sub-850-yard seasons later, we are still waiting for that to happen. Meanwhile, Floyd has fallen to third in the pecking order on his own team, behind a 32-year-old Larry Fitzgerald and John Brown, who's way smaller than he is. Uh, Guess so much for a breakout. And don't look now, but he's also going to have to compete for targets with David Johnson out of the backfield, plus J.J. Nelson averaged a whopping 27 yards per catch as a rookie, so he should probably see more looks in 2016. While we were all waiting for Floyd to break out, Doug Baldwin actually did, and in a major way, 14 touchdowns last year. Of course, no one saw that coming, but maybe we should have a little bit. Let's look at his numbers from 2012 through 2014. Everything was trending upwards. His targets went from 50 to 72 to 98. 
catches from 29 to 50 to 66, his yards from 300 to 700 to 800. So while we were all surprised by the 14 touchdowns, his 78 catches for 1,069 yards kind of falls right in line with the pattern we'd seen developing over the last three years. Doug Baldwin is a rarity in that team's uh, he is the team's clear-cut number one receiver, but he doesn't get treated that way by defenses. De- teams don't really roll their safeties over and whatnot to shut him down the way they would do with, say, an A.J. Green or a DeAndre Hopkins. So while he isn't a top-flight talent, he does get more opportunities than some others in that wide receiver one role. And one final note, while they both do have quality quarterbacks, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Russell Wilson plays longer than Carson Palmer. Who knows, maybe Palmer pulls a Steve DeBerg and plays into his mid-40s, and we have seen players younger than Wilson decide to retire, but Wilson to Baldwin is far more likely to be a long-term connection. (sighs) Need I remind you that you were one of those people that was overly excited about Michael Floyd. Uh, We'll get to more of that in a second. (laughs) Um, And I pretty sure I didn't write it down, but I don't think Doug Baldwin had more than five touchdowns in this season before last year. So we'll see we'll see how that repeats. Um not since the days of Steve Largent has a wide receiver electrified the Seattle passing game like Doug Baldwin did during his ridiculously productive stretch last season. Uh but with such a charade comes climbing value. The same thing was said about Michael Floyd heading into the 2014 season. When Nick, that's right, Nick, my co-host, figuratively, speaking, figuratively started pouring the Michael Floyd Kool-Aid down my nostrils, and I and I bit on it. Uh, currently, Floyd is going in the fourth round of Dynasty Startups, while Doug Baldwin is going in the late fourth to fifth round. I uh, just did a writer's mock, and they both went in the fifth, so they're both relatively going the same place as Floyd is usually going, a little bit higher there. But, now last offseason, Floyd was basically, Floyd was going in the same place, while Doug Baldwin is going in rounds like 18 to 16. So, obviously, if you nabbed Baldwin in a startup last season, and you were patient enough to hold on to him, you were and are potentially now being rewarded. Injuries riddled Floyd a little bit last year, but given his draft position, you probably couldn't drop him. So, on one hand, it's it's very beneficial to gain value out of a player like Baldwin, who you nabbed late. But Floyd, with the same, even with the down season, saw his value stay the exact same in in startups. Uh, rookies like Justin Hardy. Devin Smith, Chris Conley were all drafted in front of Baldwin last offseason, as was Stefan Diggs, another player who's seen the same kind of value increase that Baldwin is now. In all actuality, I would prefer any one of those players than to Baldwin than then taking Baldwin in rounds four to six. I just don't think that value is there because it's not going to hold. Floyd and me have had our difference. But I must admit the words of Bill Server always come back to me. The same words he said here on the Dynasty Pulse podcast last summer about us telling us to forget past failures. Those words always come back to me when I think about continuing to grudge against a player that burned me fantasy-wise. And me and Floyd have kind of had that love-hate affair over the last couple of years. Floyd is a big target. With such, and he's such, with such talented wingmen like Larry Fitzgerald and John Brown, Obviously, Larry could be out the door in a year or two, but I still think moving forward, even if if he, if he goes out of Arizona, I just I I feel like 
he's not going to – some people may view him as, as limited because he's got those guys around him. All I see is single coverage for Michael Floyd and his 15.8 yards per reception average throughout his career. Nick, in your rebuttal? I, it just seems to me, you know, uh, I got to go with the historical trends. You know, we see Doug Baldwin's numbers climbing every year, whereas Michael Floyd seems to have kind of plateaued out. You know, he's been right around 840 yards and six touchdowns each of the last two years, right around 50 catches. It just seems like kind of we know what we have with Floyd, whereas Doug Baldwin, we just are now tapping into the potential. Do you remember that what Floyd went through here the last couple of years? Remember Larry Fitzgerald went through that exact same thing? And look what he did last year. So that's that's another thing that maybe gets me a little a little excited about Floyd. Um, I would love to get either one Floyd in the sixth round, maybe Baldwin in the seventh. That's the case. Uh, a little early for Baldwin beyond that for me. Um, what do we think about these Los Angeles Rams, Nick? Uh, Tavon Austin flashed a little bit last season, but is he anything more than a wide receiver four or five? No, I think a wide receiver four or five sounds about right. And he's only really that high due to his rushing yards. Uh, 2015, he had career highs in receptions with 52, receiving yards with 473, and he had 434 rushing yards on top of that uh, with 10 total touchdowns. But, you know, at only five foot nine, 174 pounds, his ceiling is going to be very limited. But, you know, with better quarterback play, maybe he can put up a little bit numbers than that. But uh, I just, yeah, wide receiver four sounds about perfect. And, you know, with a coaching staff relatively the same, he could maybe outproduce his numbers from last year a little bit, depending, obviously, the quarterback situation. But having a coaching staff that knows how to handle him and what his strengths are certainly helps um, as much as you think they should have cleaned house last year. Uh, they did not. Uh, we already talked about this guy a little bit, Nick, but whom, if whomever is the Rams quarterback, can we see Kenny, chain, Kenny Britt be a chain mover? For that, for that new quarterback there, Nick? Well, first off, for as big of a headache as he appeared to be in Tennessee, we haven't heard anything negative like that with his time with the Rams. It's nice that he's seemingly matured and gotten his career back on track. And he's played in all 16 games each of the last two seasons for the Rams. Uh, but this is a guy going into his eighth season who's never had 50 catches in a year, never had an 800-yard season, and he's only had six touchdowns over the last three seasons. I think he's a wide receiver five to six. He's a bi-week plug maybe, but you can't count on him for much else. Tavon Austin had 52 receptions last year. That's what you said earlier, right, Nick? Correct, yes. And Britt's never had more than 15 in his career. Well, yeah, yep. you know, my love for him just died. It just died. You wanted to see him jump out last year, yeah, but unless he goes to New England or something this offseason, he's, yeah, he's dead to me. Um, could Todd Gurley getting better where can he improve his game Nick well last year 1100 yards 10 touchdowns and almost five yards per carry in his 12 starts he's already probably a top five back in the NFL and you know if Los Angeles gets some better production from the passing attack that would open things up a little bit more for him I think uh, Gurley could produce a little bit more in the passing game though he had under 200 receiving yards last year but he did catch 21 of his 26 targets so that kind of seems like there could be a little bit of untapped potential there yeah, I agree with you there. He could help a little bit uh, more receiving-wise, and you would like to see a little bit better. 
obviously yards for catch is, is, is a is a thing that not a lot of running backs are able to, to put up an impressive number. And and you do wonder about what how how this team maybe felt last year putting essentially the future of their franchise out in the flat to get to, to get busted up by a DB, but I think we'll see more of that as as things progress with Gurley. And yeah, you'd love to see him get to that thirty forty reception mark because that's just gonna solidify him as a top top five guy in startups here. I think for the next couple of years, but you would love to see receptions. You're dead on there, Nick. I, I totally agree there. Um, Injuries cost T.J. McDonald five games and a whole lot of production in 2016. Now Mark Barron, who's kind of the day on the candidate of this defense, is potentially on the move. Does that mean we'll see Mr. McDonald return to form last year, Nick? What do you think? Still a young player. Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that happening. Like you said, he was not the same player in 2015. He had 11 starts but only had 62 tackles compared to 105 tackles the year before and only one pass defense compared to seven the year before. Uh, He went on injured reserve after shoulder surgery, but he's only going into year four. It's not like a leg injury that could affect his speed, so I think he'll be okay. And uh, one more thing, he played his college ball at USC, so the Rams moved to L.A. as a little bit of a homecoming for him. That could provide a little extra motivation possibly. Yeah, most definitely. Um, he is also maybe underrated-wise one of the better dancers in the NFL. I mean, we all know William Gay and John Brown are obviously the, t- the top two. Rank them how you will. But uh, I've seen TJ score a couple touchdowns. So that He can break it down. I like it. Um, I think he is going if, – if he stays healthy, obviously, it's the question with just about every NFL player in production. But, uh, yeah, he's a guy that's going to get you 80 to, to 100 tackles, even – even in this good team, even on a team that has a good front seven, obviously the Laronitis on the move, you might see a, a few more tackles come out of McDonald pending he plays the whole 16 games. So but they want to get younger in that position. They're, maybe, they're either starting a rookie or starting somebody with some inexperience, obviously. So look, I'm not saying McDonald's going to play middle linebacker, but he's he's a, a safety that can garner a lot of sa- a lot of tackles. Excuse me. Um, and I think both their cornerbacks are also free agents too. So you, you know he's going to be X to help and, like you said, roll over a little bit in some certain instances there. So, yeah, I like him. He's a guy that certainly has value down. I kind of, I maybe liken him to like a a younger version of Malcolm Jenkins. I think that it, that is a bold statement if you actually understand who Malcolm Jenkins is and know the kind of production he's put up over the last couple of years and. And Philly, and obviously a huge that they re-signed him this week, but uh, I think he could be that type of player down down the road. Oh, there's probably a lot of them, Nick, but what do you think are the biggest draft needs for this Rams team? Well, you mentioned that both cornerbacks, uh, Janoris Jenkins and Tremaine Johnson, are free agents. Uh, if they do re-sign both those guys, then I think they have to look at the offensive side of the ball, uh, wide receiver, maybe tight end to replace Jared Cook, who they released, uh, a quarterback if one that they like falls to them. Uh, they got to find somebody that can help move the change, right? Yeah, I mean, quarterback is the the big glaring need. Um, I do. I am still holding on to Case Keenum in a dynasty league, just in case. It's a 16-team league, so quarterbacks are really, really valuable, even backups. But, uh, yeah, you would like to see them address that early. Uh, you know, some help along the offensive line, just like every team. Um, out, obviously, with Laronitis gone, there's there's a, 
there's a, a spot open there for somebody to, to come take over, and maybe maybe they go Reggie Ragland at the first to look for a QB in the second. That's certainly a possibility there. Uh, but uh, yeah, cornerback with both of those guys being free agents, they they ha- they have a lot of needs, so they 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 can probably go best player available the first five rounds because you know. A lot of sixth and seventh round picks, unfortunately, don't make rosters. So if they just go with best player available, I think they could fill in, fill in the dots beyond that there. So, um, ooh, it's time for another dynasty dilemma. Uh, IDP one. Um, I actually let Nick choose first on both of these because I, I felt like he maybe got the short end of the stick last week when he got to choose first on the on the IDP one and offensive one, and I just wasn't one, sure what I wanted to do. Um, so of course he chose my guy Dayon Buchanan. This would pit Dayon Buchanan versus versus Cam Chancellor, but I'm okay with that. Uh, totally okay with that. But I will. Uh, I'll go first here, Nick. Um, maybe the case of a a name versus a uh, versus a guy that just is ultra productive. But uh, you know, if I had my chance, I obviously would have taken Buchanan because he is a sledgehammer who's. Basically, a, line, a linebacker playing with a DB jersey number. Uh, yet, I have said before, it's very important to challenge yourself. Look at the negative of the players that you love. Uh, couldn't find a whole lot of negative there with Mr. Buchanan, so this is what I came up with. Uh, Buchanan has been a favorite of mine ever since I studied him as a prospect. His skills are wicked. Uh, but can such an afflictor of violence? hold up and remain healthy in the NFL? That is my big question with him. He's obviously a, a force right now, but you just wonder. Uh, also, as we've mentioned many times, Bruce Irvin is a free agent there in Seattle. So let's say this team falls in love with the safety. Do they move cha- uh, Chancellor up to that left outside linebacker or that strong side linebacker role there, uh, or do they roll right over and put uh, Chancellor on the weak side? Uh, he ha- his ch- Chancellor's tackle numbers have decreased over the last few seasons, but he's also played in fewer games. He did had that holdout last year. Um, Seattle should use should Seattle choose to use Chancellor in their front seven like Zona does with Buchanan and St. Louis does with Mark Barron last year. Uh, they would be more athletic, and it would certainly increase their coverage blanket. Obviously, Chancellor is a guy that's 6'3". He can cover the tight end. He can do some nice hard press against the smaller slot guys. Um, And to have his type of speed and athleticism in the front seven uh, the majority of the time, why not? I mean, this team is built on a rotation anyway, but should he get some looks like that, I think he's certainly capable. Uh, Chancellor, because of the Legion of Boom and playoff playoff successes, is a household name. While we have – while us IDP thugs know – Buchanan and his smashing relevance. Uh, this is this is a wise debate for me. First, but I think Chancellor does have the have the ability to step up his game, even though he's a, even though he's getting a little older. I think he has the ability to step up his game. He had the holdout last year, so obviously his numbers are going to be a little bit affected by that. I think you're going to see a, a, a monster year out of Chancellor this year. Um, and he's going to have to do that if he's going to outproduce Mr. Dayon McCann. Isn't that right, Nick? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, Cam Chancellor is, of course, the bigger name. He's a four-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, member of one of the top defenses in recent history. But as Dan Snyder has proven many times, the biggest name isn't always the best player. And in fantasy, the best player isn't always the right choice. You know, I'll admit, Cam Chancellor is probably a better player. Seattle defense is absolutely not the same unit when he's not in the lineup. And we know this because he's missed seven games over the last two seasons. In Cam Chancellor's six years, he's never had more than two forced fumbles in a season, and he only did that once. He's never scored a touchdown. He only has two sacks and no sacks in the last four years. And he's only got three interceptions over the last two years combined. Uh, Dayon Buchanan, in only his second year last year, had three forced fumbles, three sacks, one interception return for a touchdown, and two fumble recoveries, all of which would have set or tied career highs for Cam Chancellor. His 109 tackles were also more than Cam had either of the last two seasons. Now, I opened up by saying Cam is a better player, but Buchanan is no scrub at all. His first-round pick out of Washington State, very fearsome hitter like you alluded to. Uh, He didn't have 90 solo tackles just because of the scheme. He's growing into a very good young player. He could easily be a future pro bowler. I'd actually be surprised if he didn't end up being a pro bowl type of player. Uh, Buchanan's also four years younger. Now, DFW has uh, Buchanan ranked as their DB number six, but I couldn't help but notice uh, the IDP expert Sean Kirby has him as his DB number two. It's hard to find value in the top ten at any position, but you could possibly get a steal in Buchanan if you can land him for the cost of a DB six, and he ends up being that one of the top two defensive backs in the next few years. Now, it's kind of a new hybrid there with with what Buchanan does. I mean, and some sites even have him listed right now as one of their uh, middle linebackers, I think Zona fans will tell you he's kind of their their outside strong side linebacker type of thing. Uh, but you wonder at what point if that thing if that all remains the same if he does get that linebacker designation. I mean, not to say that his you know century century mark on tackles is going to hurt his value at all anymore, but uh, you'd hate to lose a, a DB of that uh, that stature. Certainly, I mean, if you need linebackers, that's, that's good. But uh, and I. Do you have one small correction? I know you're pretty pretty hardcore with your stats and stuff. I saw that too. I thought Chancellor had never scored a touchdown, but I was like, no way, he scored a touchdown. I saw it happen. He scored a touchdown in the playoffs. He scored a, on a 90 yard fumble return versus Carolina a couple of years ago. So he did score. He did score a touchdown. Um, and obviously, the, you know, his career stats aren't necessarily affected by that, but that is regular season. He scored a touchdown in a big moment, and obviously, uh, fantasy players don't uh, don't. Uh, Ah, reap the benefits of that too. But you know the the numbers you mentioned with all those nice little bonus pieces you get the IDP with uh, fumble recoveries and sacks. Uh, that's because McCannon was playing linebacker, so that 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 was maybe um, you know and that's something I don't I don't want to say it's unfair because he got to play linebacker, but Seattle's got to see this trend. They got to see not only what McCannon did, but I mean when Mark Barron made that move to outside linebacker for for St. Louis last year, and I'm saying St. Louis because that's what they were last year, he put up some ridiculous IDP weeks. And if you don't believe me, Sean Kirby will, Sean Kirby will put you in your face because he had him in a league. I mean, he was dropping. And this is a league that's got way way high scoring and way more points than you should ever have. But he had he was dropping like 40, 45 points every single week. And that's, that's a little bit skewed there. But, I mean... It, and, and I would love to see Barron end up in Oakland if he can do that for, for that type of team there in St. Louis. Why can't he do it there in Oakland? That would be great. So Seattle, if you're listening, if you're listening, anybody in Seattle, 
Chancellor, he might be thin, but I think he can hold up at outside linebacker. So that, and that's really the only argument I could come up with to try to go against uh, the sledgehammer known as uh, Dayan Buchanan. Any other thoughts there, Nick? Um, just that I do hear your concerns about he's such a fearsome hitter that he could have wind up having a short career, kind of like we saw with Bob Sanders in Indianapolis a few years back. I, I, I will concede that that argument to you. Okay. All right. I slowly won him over. Um, but anyway, San Francisco 49ers. We maybe had this question answered yesterday when they ponied up and paid uh, Garrett Selleck. But is there is there a tight end on this current roster, Nick, that's going to have that's going to be trustworthy for dynasty owners? What do you think? I don't know. Not for not for fantasy purposes, anyways. Uh, Selleck, I think he's more of a blocker. Uh, Vance McDonald led the tight ends last year with 30 catches for 326 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, I just can't see trusting any of them right now. I mean, keep an eye on the preseason depth chart as tight ends have been productive in Chip Kelly's offense. And I think if you can get McDonald super cheap right now, go for it. But I, I wouldn't trust him to be your tight end one starter quite yet. Yeah, there's not a tight end one on this team, but uh, I, I am intrigued by Rory Anderson, and he lost all of last season due to a knee injury. They drafted him last year out of uh, South Carolina. He's a little bit of an intriguing prospect to me, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, we've seen some production, but they're not, they're not, you know, top eight production out of the tight end there for, uh, for uh, the San Francisco, and then, and I don't think that. It was ever the case there in Philadelphia either. Um, I, I actually think McDonald's more of the blocking back. I think Selleck put up some decent some decent games last year, but uh, we'll see. This is a this is kind of a a bad position we'll say on this team. So uh, uh, it's really not a whole lot of reason to keep reflecting on it. But uh, yeah, not uh, not uh, not something that if you're looking at this tight end bunch and try to figure out who you should try to get on your dynasty roster. You obviously have huge holes in your, <laughs> your tight end position. So like Bill said earlier, draft Hunter Henry. Um, should we be intrigued by whomever is the quarterback in this offense, given it's Chip Kelly's scheme? Now, news broke today uh, that Trent Balke said that absolutely, absolutely he said, Colin Kaepernick will be on this roster. He didn't say he's going to be the starter, but he said he was going to be on the roster. What 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 do you think? Should we be intrigued by that, Nick? Well, I think it just depends on who the starting quarterback is going to be. Sam Bradford last year, 3,700 yards, 19 touchdowns, and I think that was with a better supporting cast than the San Francisco quarterback is going to have this year. You know, I think if Kaepernick were to win this job, and you know, being that he's a mobile quarterback and can provide those rushing yards, uh, give you gives you a little bit higher of a floor. I think I'd maybe be intrigued, but if it's Blaine Gabbard, I think I would uh, look elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I picked up. Excuse me, I picked up some scraps last year when somebody dropped Kaepernick. I just thought, oh, this is too good of a too good of a player with NFL experience to be available, especially in a 16-team league. So I am obviously holding out hope uh, there. But uh, I um, that being said, I don't. I, the only reason you, I think you should be excited about it is the fact that it's because. Um, Excuse me, because it is the Chip Kelly scheme, and I think 
Chip Kelly will have a, a mobile quarterback, a guy that, unlike you know, Sam Bradford, has actually had, still has all of his knee tissues and ligaments uh, that have never been severed or detached or whatever you want to say. So, we've seen Kaepernick put up some decent rushing numbers, especially you know in, in crunch time. And I, I think you got to be really intrigued by that. If he's their starter, I think that puts that puts him you know right on the fringe of the top 10. It's saying that he should be a starter in 12 team leagues. The quarterback position is slowly getting deep with some of these younger guys and, you know, Kaepernick's value is down right now. So if you can grab him from somebody, it's worth a shot, especially after that news today. I think it's, it's worth a shot. And that is not a bold state. You know, that is not a statement that's set in stone. We could still see something happen there, but uh, should be, should be intrigued by that. Um, What do we think about Carlos Hyde? continuing our our picking part of the Kelly scheme, Dick. I mean, everybody was excited about DeMarco Murray last year. Now, Hyde lost a little bit of last year to an injury. Should, what should we expect from Hyde after what we saw with Murray last year in the same scheme? Well, I think Carlos Hyde should do better than Murray simply due to a lack of other options at running back. Uh, Hyde had 115 carries last year. Sean Drone was second on the team with only 76 carries. Mike Davis third with 35. Uh, now, Hyde's not a shirt thing by any means. He only had 470 yards in seven games last year, so those numbers were slighter, but slightly better than his rookie numbers. He did average about four yards per carry each year, though, so I, I think he'll do well, better than Murray anyway. Yeah, you know, and it. I think one thing that should certainly be noted uh, as we continue to pick on the Kelly scheme is even at Oregon, he used multiple running backs. So maybe that brings Mike Davis's value up a little bit. So I don't think, you know, you should consider Hyde to be like a top, you know, top eight running back, we'll say. I mean, could he go off and have 1,500 yards? Absolutely, and Chip, you know Philly will look stupid for letting Chip Philly go. But I, I, I think Hyde does certainly have that capability. But I, I'm just not positive that we're going to see it, especially right away, under under a new regime, under a new offensive scheme, uh, and a same offensive scheme that likes to use multiple running backs. And let's face it, in today's NFL, you have to use multiple running backs just to survive and keep your players healthy uh, for the extent of the 16 game slate. Um, what about the defensive side, Nick? Anybody, anybody come to mind that you kind of see that's maybe going to be a little bit better this year? Well, I would look at a guy like a cornerback, Kenneth Acker, six foot, hundred ninety pounds, sixth round pick in two thousand fourteen. He ended up winning the starting job last year and started thirteen games, had sixty five tackles, three interceptions, and eight passes defensed. Uh, now, when Chip Kelly was in Philadelphia, we saw the Eagles defenders gain IDP value simply due to being on the field for no, for more snaps because of Chip's style of offense. So that wouldn't surprise me if the same thing happens in San Francisco, especially with their secondary guys. So Kenneth Acker is a guy I would start to look at. Okay, well, the guy that I uh, have been impressed by every time I see him uh, is Jaquirsky Tart. Obviously, there's other other veterans and other safeties on this team, but I think he's a, he's a guy that they they used uh, in a couple different ways last last year, and I think you certainly uh, should be excited about him. And we'll we'll see uh, you know what they do uh, draft wise, and that's going to really be. Uh, I think more indicative of what we're going to see out of other positions along this defensive 
especially the front. You know, there's a lot of question marks there. You know, Bowman's really the only sure thing I think right now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's a lot of I think just warm bodies teams. So they they certainly have their work to do. So we'll see. We'll see what Chip Kelly can do. What about uh, biggest draft needs there? Nick? What do you think? I would just say offensive playmakers in general. doesn't matter if it's quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Uh, they've only got three starters that are going into free agency, so there's not a lot of holes to fill there. But, you know, in the NFC West, a division full of strong defenses, I think this team has to get better offensively to compete, right? Yeah, that being said, I you know, if their starting wide receivers are DeAndre Strunk, Excuse me, it's DeAndre Smelter and Torrey Smith. I think that's a pretty good one too. I, I depending on you know the the quarterback, that's that's a lot of a lot of speed out of Smith and Smelters obviously didn't play last year coming off of that knee injury in college, but he's he's a big physical receiver and I think he could surprise a lot of people. Um, they still have Bruce Ellington, Quentin Patton. Those guys aren't anybody that's going to overly excite you by any means, uh, but. I think they have nice pieces, but obviously if they have the chance to, to get, you know, like a, a Tyler Boyd or a Josh Doxson, I think at round two, that would cer- certainly help. But I, I don't think they go a wide receiver too early. I would say offensive line, you know, they it'd be nice to, to solidify the other side of that defense, or excuse me, offensive line uh, from Joe Staley. So, you know, they have tackles on this team, but could they have an upgrade? Almost, yeah. Most definitely they could get an upgrade there. So, and, you know, we'll see what happens if this news today does take them out of the running for drafting a quarterback. I, I don't necessarily think it will because while Blaine Gabbert showed something for once in his career last year, there's no way this team's going to depend on that. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Um, what do you think? Uh, we've got a little mock draft update here. Some of the DFW writers here are doing a mock and actually just started another one. Bruce Kimbrough is back from vacation and fully, finally got all the rum out of the system. So look out. We're going to be getting you know, some mock up drafts every week. But anyway, uh, did you had a chance to look at that, Nick? Any, any surprises? Can you believe somebody took Thomas Rawls over Adrian Peterson? <laughs> Well, uh, the first thing that jumped out to me was Todd Gurley going at 1.03. I thought that was a little high for a running back. Same with Le'Veon Bell at 1.07. And then I got a notification today, actually, that uh, the Steelers aren't sure whether or not Bell's going to be ready for week one. So that could hurt his value a little bit. Uh, I didn't have any problem with Rob Gronkowski at 1.06, though. I thought that was a great pick there. Uh, Jamal Charles at 2.03 I thought was just crazy, especially considering the fact that taking him ahead of the Devontae Freeman, who went to 2.07, I thought that was way too high. Yeah, you know, we'll see how that works out. Rumors out of KC said that he's coming along very, very well. Um, Right now we are in the – fifth round of this, excuse me, sixth round, and the last five picks have been running backs. Uh, Hyde at 5.12, Melvin Gordon above Jeremy Hill, and Matt Forte, and C.J. Anderson. So we're at six, 6.5 right now, so probably update this one next week, too. And this one here is going to be a, an article on DFW, so you're going to get a lot of explanations um, on a lot of these picks. Yeah, I... I I was super excited to see my guy DeAndre Hopkins rated number three, but yeah, you know it's 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 a it's a risk taking a running back at the third overall pick. But if you think it's 
the guy, if you think he's the best guy at the position, and he's going to be for the next, you know, three to five seasons like we all want in Dynasty, I don't think that's a bad decision. Um, what do you think about – do you think Allen Robinson is first-round worthy, Nick? I mean, Dez went, a front, Dez went in front of him in both of these drafts, but I think Allen's actually rated higher than Dez right now. What do you think? Yeah, uh, you look and he went the 10th overall pick in the first round. I think that might be a little bit high considering guys like A.J. Green, David Johnson, Sammy Watkins were all still on the board. But, you know, the production is there. And that Jacksonville offense, you know, in theory should only get better as young as they are. So, yeah, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. And what do you think about Cam coming off the board, the first quarterback coming off the board at, I just lost it, two points. 2.08. What a difference an MVP season makes. You know, last year is pretty much <laughs> being written off as the QB5 or even worse by some uh, rankers. So, yeah, 2.08, I think. You know, and last year we also saw Andrew Luck was pretty much a unanimous first-round pick. So I think that's pretty good value getting the first quarterback uh, in the middle of the second round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and last year I had no problem taking Luck first overall on a lot of mocks. We'll see how I adjust my... Uh, just my thoughts there moving forward. But, yeah, uh, Newton 2.08, Andrew Luck at two picks later, Aaron Rodgers 3.01, and then I think somebody nabbed Russell Wilson too very shortly after that. So that's kind of where the court uh, – Russell Wilson is actually 4.04. What do you think – what do you think about those – I mean, you mentioned Gronk. Uh, Coming down to you, Nick, like say – Late fourth, you taking Jordan Reed or Tyler Eifert? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. Um, one another pick that did surprise me in the fourth round was Josh Gordon at four point zero two. Uh, you look at some guys that were still on the board at that point: Jordan Reed, like you mentioned, uh, Russell Wilson, Adrian Peterson, Jordan Matthews. All these guys were still there when Josh Gordon was taken. So that surprised me. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Eifert went three point zero three. And Reed was 4.03. So some interesting moves there. I'm really, I was a little surprised and maybe not more as so now that I, I heard that Andre Johnson is essentially done and uh, Indy, and they're going to take quite a cap hit if they have to release him. Uh, he could retire or they're going to take like a huge $7 million cap hit, I think 7.5. Uh, but Dante Moncrief, um, he, I will not say the person who took this because we'll look forward to this article and the explanation. But what do you think, Dante Moncrief, four point zero six, seemed a little high for me. Yeah, maybe a little bit high, but you know, at that point, you know, some of the guys taken right after him, uh, Julian Edelman. Jordy Nelson, those guys are getting a little bit long in the tooth. Uh, Kevin White's completely unproven. Uh, Doral Green Beckham hasn't really done a whole lot. So, you know, I, I think it's all right. I, I, he wouldn't have been my pick there, but I'm not going to really argue with the defense. Mm-hmm. And um, with Johnson, you know, essentially out the door, that's not official. I mean, he Moncrief has got two years of experience. He's essentially going to be the wide receiver, too, on that team. He's a bigger player than... Um, T.Y. Hilton. So, oh, and Andrew Lux is quarterback. So, I mean, he certainly has a lot of things going for him. So, 
But anyway, we will update CSUD some more mocks next week. Just kind of know, I'll let you know how the DFW staff is uh, is, is drafting at this point in time right now. Uh, a couple prospect profiles for you. Uh, took a look at Richard Higgins, Colorado State, uh, as well as Deranya Wilson, I believe is how you say that name. Another wide receiver uh, out of Mississippi State, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, first, Higgins. Um, so you, you might think that name is a little bit familiar for him from you, and like like you know that like you know who that is somehow. Uh, well, remember watching uh, Garrett Garrett Grayson Bird Dog, a wide receiver last year in your film study? Yeah, that's who it was. That was Higgins. Uh, he is a very thin prospect, and he lacks some grit and bulk, uh, but he has very good ball skills, hands, and anticipation. Uh, might sound like a little bit of an unfair comparison, but he reminds me a whole lot of Allen Robinson. Uh, uh, yes, I realize that that might be unrealistic, but I I I, I kind of thought the same things about Allen Robinson in terms of his frame and it, can it hold up? I mean, you watch film on this guy, and you know you want to see a prospect emerge out of one of these lower tier lower tier conferences in the NFL. You'd expect them just to be, you know, this this massive specimen, this massive creature, and he is just thin, whisper thin. I think he's yeah, six two one ninety. So um, that that is a big concern uh, for me. But that being said, you know, we really don't know until I see what team drafts him and the scheme that he fits in. He could he could certainly be a rather dynamic player. Any questions there about Higgins, Nick? Well, you mentioned that he's a guy that you might remember from uh, watching film on Garrett Grayson. I was wondering if last year, when you were watching film on the quarterback, if Higgins was a guy who jumped out to you last year's uh, film watching, or if it's just a guy that you started looking at this year. Well, I, I once I saw that you know he was kind of listed as one of the top the top prospects this year, I was like, oh yeah, I wonder if that was the guy. And he, and if you watched any Garrett Grayson film, and he had to stay in that because he was catching all kind of balls. And he, he, you know, he's good on contested catches and stuff. But again, that is that smaller tier conference thing. So, you know, how is he going to do against? You know, I mean, not, he's not going to play Richard Sherman every weekend. But how is he going to do against a, you know, a big physical corner? You know, that's going to, you know, potentially flatten him when when he catches the ball. So we'll see. We'll see how he holds up there, but. The ball skills are there, and if you know, and he's not—he's not the six-four, six-five guy, so he's not going to be relegated to you know one of those one of those awesome red zone guys. But uh, you know, uh, one of those guys uh, because of that thin that thinness, I think he's he could be a, a very serviceable slot receiver. You know, even if he went to uh, to New England for a couple of years with Tom Brady, that would be something that I would be really excited about, and he would certainly take a take a jump up there in my rankings. Um Derenu Wilson, Mississippi State. Uh six four, six five, depending on the website you go to. Two hundred and fifteen pounds. Uh our well, our own Dirty Mike Graphic, who coincidentally is gonna be on next week as we talk about uh the AFC Central. How about that segue? But uh, our guy Mike Graphic just took him uh with pick two point zero one uh, in a pre-combine rookie mock. So I guess I really don't need to say any more, right? I mean, Mike's got good knowledge. But uh, my other short assumption is that he is totally 
the next Calvin Benjamin. Uh, and that, again, I realize that is a big statement. This is a guy that uh, played a lot of basketball in college, or played a lot of basketball prior to this. So he's a little bit new to football still. So he certainly has some things. But I felt a lot of repercussions about Calvin Benjamin. Like, I just didn't think he was going to translate like he did. And so, you know, when I tend to see that, that same type of thing out of a player, you know, maybe I was wrong. I mean, it, it happens every now and then, Nick. So. Um, but he's got decent hands. Uh, he has a super vert, slightly raw, but he, he uses his length very well. Uh, needs to work on his release versus aggressive DBs and press coverage and man-to-man. Um, I also would like to see more vertical routes and some jump balls. Uh, you know, he's he's 6'4", uh, but because of that, you don't see him go up there and high point those balls in, in some of the films that I've seen. So you need to uh, you need to maybe dig in deep with film on him because, like I said, he, he is raw, but I do like that. I do like, like um, the, what he is – some of the things that he's doing. He's, he's actually a little bit aggressive with the ball, too, which I like that. Um, according to our friend Jeff Lloyd, he is a former basketball player, so he still has a lot to learn, learn, and he really needs to work on his footwork. Obviously, that's that's key with wide receivers in terms of how they're going to, you know, get get free, get open, you know, be deceptive. Hard to be deceptive when you're that tall, but he's certainly good. Um, his size is going to get him drafted in the middle to late uh, rounds, with late third probably being the the, the the ceiling for him. Uh, I think teams like the Lions, who obviously lost Kelvin Johnson, not the next Kelvin Johnson, but who need to replace that bigger weapon in their scheme, should certainly consider him. Uh, the Niners, like Nick brought up earlier, would, he wouldn't be a bad a bad guy there if they need another another red zone person to you know kind of spread that defense out. And of course, the Chargers, who need to fill that slot next to uh, a spot opposite Keenan Allen, excuse me, should certainly uh, uh, consider. Darunya Wilson there out of Mississippi State. Uh, like I said, Mike took him 2.10. A lot to be said, a lot a lot of, you know, landing spots to be decided before we get to those rookie drafts in May. But that's I think that's a pretty fair thing. I mean, that size is certainly, certainly going to be worthy of him getting there. We'll see where he obviously fits, uh, fits into the equation once he gets that landing spot. Uh, any questions there about Darunya Wilson, Nick? Um, do you think he's fast enough to be a deep threat, or is he more of like a red zone type of guy at six four, six five? He, you know, he is fast. I don't know what his forty is going to come out at, but you know, with with the having to work on his footwork, you you, you think his forty might be actually a little bit deceptive in terms of how that will translate. Uh, to game speed, but as far as what I can see somebody doing with him, he's he's certainly a, a post route guy over the middle. You know, Cal, like I said, Calvin Benjamin, a guy that I think if if he gets the opportunity, he can get up there and hop high points of balls, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to, to figure some things out, especially, you know, with nobody in the NFL has a, uh, has a vanilla offensive team, so it's going to be, it's going to be a little more complicated him at, at the next level, but the size and the athletic ability is there. He sort of just has uh, things to work on for you. So, um, and that's what we have for you today. Uh, Nick, any closing thoughts? 
Uh, just one more question. So with uh, with Wilson, you think he's probably going to be a guy that's going to take a year or two to, uh, to contribute? So maybe a guy to stash on your uh, at the end of your roster, or maybe on a practice squad in uh, deeper uh, dynasty leagues. You know, again, I think it just really depends on landing spot. You know, could he be like the next Brandon Coleman? Yes. Uh, does he have Benjamin potential? Uh, because Benjamin didn't have Benjamin didn't. You know, Benjamin had more potential than I thought he did, so I, I, I really want to think that about Durant. Just because when you watch him, he reminds me a lot of that. So we'll see where he ends up and what kind of a wide receiver coach can get him going. So, But uh, that's all we have. This has been the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Uh, I am Josh for Johnson. He's Nick Wagner. Big thanks to Bill Latin for joining us. Uh, make sure you check out us next week as we talk about the AFC Central and uh, Dirty Mike Traffic will be along for the ride there as we talk about his Pittsburgh black and yellow Steelers. So, uh, Nick, always a pleasure. Have a good week, bud. You too, Josh. Sam Spence, composer Sam Spence, died on Saturday at the age of 88. If you hear that music and you don't get chills, you're not a football fan as far as I've heard. Mm-hmm.